Well, good morning, everyone. So good to have all of you at all of our churches, Bluntstown, Chipley, and Mariana. Today, we're in our second week of our series entitled Redeeming Grace. But before we jump into today's conversation, I want to pause and celebrate with you how that you've allowed God to do or what you've allowed God to do through you um, in blessing um, some foster children as a church um, through our what we call being for others. So two weeks ago, we invited everyone to give $4 to bless foster children. And this year, what we did is we used that money to bless or to help assist uh, Christmas at Real Life Camp for foster children that happens at Blue Springs every year. And so, Chipley, uh, you gave $759 to this. Bluntstown, you gave $2,655 to this. And Mariana, you gave $4,128.75 for a total of $7,542.75. Now, before you celebrate that, though, as a church, you also provided 193 gifts for foster children in Calhoun, Liberty, Washington, Jackson County through our gingerbread. So if you haven't brought those gifts back, please do that so we can make sure we can get those out. So I just want to say thanks again, because as followers of Jesus, I really believe as a church, we should be known for our no strings attached love and generosity, because that's what our leader and King Jesus is known for. So again, thank you. I really want, man, it's just so great for what you're doing as a church to show others that you're for them. So now let's celebrate that. All of our churches, can you say that. Yeah, pretty incredible. All right, so go ahead and grab your Bibles, and you want to find the, the book of Judges today, Joshua and Judges. It's in the Old Testament, so make sure you find that. Um, also, you can go to the app and find uh, talk notes there, or if you uh, picked up some on your way in at the back of the room, if you like the paper. Um, but we're going to dive in the second part of our series entitled Redeeming Grace. And as we started this series last week, we introduced a statement that we ask you to think about in light of Christmas. And here is the statement. History is the story of God moving and proving his love for you. In other words, this statement basically says, uh, God is not distant and disinterested. He didn't just set everything in motion and then just go his own way and do his own thing and just leave us to exist for ourselves. No, God has been actively participating in history. God has been moving throughout history to prove his love for you and I. And what he's been doing is he's been moving throughout history with one overarching purpose, and that is to prove his love for us. He's been trying to help us not only see who he, is, who he is, but how he feels about us, how much he loves us. And so we learned from last week, it is absolutely remarkable, especially in light of humanity's brokenness and rebellion. If you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to go back and watch or listen to that talk online because it's just a great story to help us understand our own depravity and our brokenness but despite our sin, despite our disregard for God, despite our doubts or maybe even our unbelief about him, no matter our sin, our brokenness and rebellion, God has never stopped moving and proving his love for you. Now, if you're a Christ follower, one of the things that we believe about God's love for us is even when we sin against God, he is forgiving and he's gracious to us. And we believe that because Scripture clearly states that over and over again, and because many of us, we have experienced that in our own lives. I mean, think about this. How many times and how often have we done what was right in our own eyes, we've made up our own truth and gone our own way, and then we violated what we knew were God's principles, His truths, and His ways for our life? And then what happens when we do that? Our world just collapses and falls apart. 
And then what do we do when our world falls apart? We cry out to God, we pray, and we ask God to deliver us. And isn't it amazing that while there are natural consequences whenever we sin, he goes, sin always has some consequences. God shows up, and he shows up with grace and compassion every time. There's always redeeming grace, and there's always forgiveness. What is even more amazing than God's redeeming grace is our own personal insistence on doing our own thing, of doing what's right in our own eyes, of, of making up our own truth for ourselves. Like no matter how many times God redeems us from the mess that we create by doing our own thing, what we tend to do is we tend to insist that I want to do what I want, when I want, with whom I want. And then the footnote that we add to this to justify this attitude of basically rebellion against God is we say, yeah, and I care about people. And so we add this little footnote. I want to do what I want, when I want, with whom I want, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. Now, the problem with this mindset, as we learned last week, it's impossible to live this way. I mean, as we learned last week, you can't actually live with freedom that you can do what you want, when you want, with who you want, without hurting someone. You can't do that. I mean, if you try to live this way with this mindset and this attitude, you will eventually, as we looked at last week, you'll eventually hurt yourself and you're going to hurt somebody else. You'll hurt the people that are closest to you. You'll hurt the people that you love the most. And part of the thing that we never think about is you're going to hurt the people who are coming along behind you. In fact, some of you, you have stories and scars to show and to tell because you were on the receiving end of someone living with this kind of attitude, of someone living with kind of the mindset, I'm going to do what I want, when I want, with whom I want. Like you had a spouse or you had a parent, or you had a child who pursued the freedom to do what they wanted, when they wanted, with whom they wanted, and you ended up with a lot of hurt and a lot of wounds from that, and you're still suffering from that, maybe even. And so some of you, you're trying to live that way right now. You're trying to live with this kind of freedom yourself. Or maybe some of you, when you became a teenager, you decided, you know what, I'm going to do what I want to do. No, nobody's going to tell me what to do anymore. I'm done listening to my parents. Or maybe this happened to you during your freshman year of college, and then you spent your sophomore year at a different college because you couldn't stay at your last college because you had that attitude. Or some of you, you've blown up your marriage or some other long-term relationship because you decided, man, being in a committed relationship, it took way too much of your freedom to do what you wanted, when you wanted, with whom you wanted. In fact, some of you, you've kind of gone through a midlife crisis and, and you've tried in that midlife crisis to regain your freedom and you tried to live like you were 21 years old and the only problem with that is you had less hair, more weight, and enough money to get yourself in a lot more trouble and do a whole lot more damage, right? I mean, that how it works when people go through midlife crisis is I'm going to do what I want and just, man, they wreck their lives. So this is how we said this last week. Doing what is right in your, uh, in your eye individually will eventually lead to chaos collectively and personally. And we saw how this happened with the nation of Israel from Judges chapter 19 last week. So this idea of I want to do what I want with whom I want as long as it doesn't hurt anybody, this is not a new idea to those of us in the 21st century. 
Now, whenever you read the ancient history of the Jewish people, you discover this same pattern with them. And this pattern, it began to unravel with them in a span of about a 330-year period. It happened between the time when Joshua led them into the promised land and then when Saul became their first king. And we have this record of this history of the Jewish people recorded during these years in a book we now call the Book of Judges. It's a document that gives this history. We call it the Book of Judges. In fact, as a matter of fact, the last statement in, in this document called Judges, it summarizes well the attitude and the mentality during this period of history with the Jewish people because this is what the writer says in Judges 21 verse 25. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. In other words, everybody made up their own rules. Everybody defined truth for themselves. But as we saw last week, doing what is right in your own eyes and defining truth for yourself, it eventually leads to chaos collectively and also to chaos personally. And the end of Judges, as we discovered last week, I mean, it reads like this horror movie. It's tragic, it's disturbing, it's this awful story. In fact, if you missed last week, I'll, I'll let you read it for yourself if you dare. Um, it's just this heartbreaking story in Judges chapter 19. But if you missed it online, you can go watch it or listen there because it just really helps understand God's redeeming grace to us. Now today, I'm gonna take you to the beginning of Judges because the start of, the, of Judges, when, when we get to Judges chapter one and two, or the end of Joshua, it, it starts off this 330-year uh, period of time. It reads more like the last night of church student summer camp. Now, if you grew up attending church like I did, and you went to student camp like I did, um, you're, you're going to understand what I'm going to talk about. But if you didn't, this may sound a little bit strange, but I think it'll make sense to you. See, on the last night of church camp for students, it's always emotional. It's really emotional, like ugly kind of snot running kind of emotional stuff. There's, there's crying and there's all these emotions going on. We're going to be best friends for life. And, you know, we're going to always, you know, we got this great God experience. And, it, and, it's, and it's a great experience. Camp is a great experience. And I want to undermine that. But the reality is, it's like, man, it's always emotional. And here's why it's always emotional, because you spent the whole week singing emotional songs, listening to talk uh, talks that... Um, stirred up some emotion in you, and you've been away from all the distractions of your parents and your siblings and all those distractions of life. And on the last night of, su of summer camp, you are certain that you want to change the way that you're living your life. And some of you are smiling because you've been there and you've done this. Like, I want to change everything. I mean, everybody's ready to make this big commitment on the last night of student camp. I mean, you're ready to quit everything. You're ready to quit drinking. You're going to quit smoking. You're going to quit those bad relationships you're in. You're going to quit being sexually active. You're going to quit fighting with your parents. I mean, you're going to quit looking at porn. You're going to quit all those toxic friendships that you have. I mean, you're going to quit it all. Well, the start of Judges is kind of like the last night of student camp. So let me give you a little bit of context for what I mean by that. So Moses has led the nation of Israel out of Egypt. They were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years, 400 years, and then Moses dies. And the leadership baton is then passed 
to Joshua. And then Joshua, he took the late nation of Israel into the promised land. And things went really good for the nation of Israel as long as Joshua was alive. If you want to read the account of that, you can read it in the document or the book we call Judges or Joshua right before the book of Judges. Now, Joshua was not the king of the nation of Israel. Israel had no human king. God wanted to set up the nation of Israel as a theocracy where God ruled. God was their king and their ruler. So he wanted a theocracy. So they were going to be a unique nation of people led by God. God was their king. They were a nation of law underneath the rulership of God. Well, Joshua then, because they were a theocracy, he simply led the people according to God's plan. And then through his leadership, everything seemed to be going well for the nation of Israel because he was leading them according to God's plan. But now at this point in time, when we get to the end of Joshua, the beginning of Judges, Joshua is 110 years old and he's been leading the nation of Israel for 52 years and he knows that he's about to die. And the people of Israel know that he's about to die. And he's been this great leader for the nation of Israel for 52 years. So this is a very emotional time for them. So he gathers them all together, all 12 tribes together, and he delivers like this final challenge to them, kind of like the last night of student camp. And he he challenges them. He says, I want you to follow God. I'm challenging you to follow God. I want you to live according to God's way. In fact, here's what he says, beginning the last chapter of Joshua, chapter 24. Notice what he says in verse 14. He says, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. And then he says, throw away the idols or the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and Egypt, because Joshua knew that our tendency as, a, as human beings, is we see things that other people are, are seeing in their life or experiencing in their life. We see the highlight reels of other people, and we begin to idolize that, and we begin to believe that those things would bring us meaning, fulfillment, and purpose in life. And so he knows that our tendency is that when we idolize something is that we will make an idol of something. And so he says, listen, throw away those idols, those things you idolized or your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And then he goes a step farther in verse 15. He says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, in other words, he says, just be honest with yourselves. So what you're going to do, you got to make a choice because he says, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve because Joshua understood that every choice you make, it has a predetermined outcome. And if you choose to follow these idols, then it's going to have a devastating outcome. Or you can choose to follow God's way, which will be harder in the beginning, but the outcome will be so much better. It's why that we should not be surprised when we make choices and then have outcomes because Joshua goes, hey, you need to choose this day whom you're going to serve because it determines outcome. And he goes on, whether the God's your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. Then he stops and goes, okay, you got to choose. But he says, here's my choice. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. So Joshua does this long speech and he's encouraging the people of Israel to keep their focus on God and not baking about themselves. And he even tells them, he says, if you don't want to serve God, then just be honest with yourself about how you're going to live your life. 
Just make sure that you're honest with yourself that that's what you're going to be doing. So Joshua encourages them. He says, listen, you choose which path and which outcome you want for your life, but be honest, be honest. But then Joshua, he also stops and he says, hey, but as for me and my house, let me tell you what we're going to do. We're going to go the path of serving God as our king. We're not going to make the mistake that we can do what's right in our own eyes, that we can define our own truth, and somehow we can bypass the consequences of making something else the king of our life. We are going to serve the Lord. And then the people respond. Notice what they say in verse 16. Far be it from us to forsake the Lord and serve other gods or idols. So they're like, no, we're not going to do that. In fact, they say, here's why we won't do that. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among the nations through which we traveled. And then they go on. They said, and the Lord not only did all that for us, but the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. In other words, Joshua, we are all in on serving God. He delivered us from Egypt. He worked miracles on our behalf. He gave us this land. We're going to follow God. He's our only king. We recognize what he's done in our lives. So they're basically saying to Joshua, hey, you you don't have to worry about what's going to happen to us, Joshua, when you're gone. We're going to remain faithful to God. We never, ever want to back, return and go back and be serving those foreign kings and their gods. We remember what that was like. We've made our decision. God is our king. You don't have to worry about us, Joshua. And what's interesting about this is Joshua just kind of pauses and he looks back at them and he basically says, no, I don't think you understand what commitment you're making here. I don't think you understand the level of commitment that you're making. I think you're going to go home from church camp and go right back like two weeks later to doing what you want to do with whom you want to do when you want to do it. I don't think you really understand the commitment that you're making to say we're going to serve God. And they respond in verse 21. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. And then if you continue to read the text, Joshua talked to them and Joshua warned them. He says, you need to be really careful because when you start looking around you and you see other nations highlight reels, you might start idolizing that because that's our human tendency. And you're just going to go back to serving those kind of idols. You're going to go back to living that way. And they're like, oh no, we're not. He says, I'm telling you, you need to be very careful. Be very careful. Are you going to fall back into idolatry? And here's the thing I want to say to all of us. Whenever we idolize something, it is really easy for that to become an idol in our life. And before we know it, we've fallen into the same trap that Joshua's warning the nation of Israel. And then after this warning, Joshua dies. And don't miss this. They had barely put the leftover fried chicken and mashed potatoes away from dinner after Joshua's funeral. And the next thing you know, they're looking around at all these other nations and they're doing exactly what they swore they would never do. In fact, the text goes, the writer of, the judge, uh, writer of Judges goes and says this, then the Israelites 
did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. Literally, the dirt over Joshua's bones has barely had time to settle, and they've gone right back to living as they did before church camp. They're worshiping Baal. And who was Baal? Baal was the male guy of the Canaanites, the very people whom God said, you got to destroy them and you can never do that way. You can never go this, this way. In fact, in Judges chapter two, verse 12, it says, they forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshiped various gods or idols of the people around them. So they started looking around and they started thinking, well, everybody else is doing it. It looks like they saw the highlight reels of everybody else's life and they begin to idolize those things in other people's lives that they thought would bring meaning, fulfillment, and purpose into life, their life. And the next thing you know, they have abandoned their invisible king and his laws and the, his ways and they immerse themselves in the culture of the Canaanites right after they swore to Joshua, hey, we will never go back there. So they decided they would rather look like and live like the people around them. So what they started doing, they started chasing the gods of the other nations and they started copying their behaviors. And in the process, they abandoned their heavenly father, their invisible king who had given them their freedom in the first place. And then the writer continues in the last part of verse 12 when he says, they aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal, and the Asherahs. Now, Asherahs were basically the female version of Baal. And one of the reasons that worshiping Baal and the Asherahs was such a big deal is because of all that it entailed. I mean, when things got bad for the Canaanites, they would sacrifice people to their gods. Ultimately, the Canaanite religion was focused on self-preservation. And here's what I want to say to you. Whenever you idolize something and you make it your idol, you will always sacrifice the people around you in order to have and serve the idol for self-preservation because you think somehow or another that's going to preserve your life. So the Canaanite religion, it was focused on self-preservation, self-preservation at any cost. For example, when there wasn't rain or there was famine or there was drought or some kind of disease, what they would do is they would cast aside any sense of the value of human life and they would sacrifice people. And if things got really, really bad, they would sacrifice their children to Baal. In fact, in one period of history, when things looked really bleak for them, they required the richest people in the kingdom to sacrifice their four firstborn children because they thought that it would get the attention of Baal and give his grace and favor toward them. And so God says to the nation of Israel, you can't follow that. You can't go that path. He says, you can't be, I'm telling you, he says, you don't want that kind of mindset. So he says, I'm not going to let you do what you want to do when you want to do it with whom you want. You cannot engage in that because it is so destructive. In fact, notice verse 14. It says, in his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them the hands of their enemies all around who they know were no longer able to resist. And as we're going to see in just a moment, whenever you idolize something and you make it an idol for your life, what you once idolized and you couldn't live without, you now can't resist. That's how it destroys you. In fact, in verse 15, he goes on. Whenever Israelites went out to fight, 
The hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he swore to them. They were in great distress. And for a lot of us, that's why we find ourselves in great distress in life, because there's something else in our life that is number one instead of God. So basically, God comes along to the nation of Israel, and he says, okay, if you want to be like the Canaanites, I'm going to let you be conquered and be ruled by them. You don't want me as your king? I'll let you live under a Canaanite king. And the point that I don't want you to miss is this. They abandoned God as their king, and they followed the lifestyle of the people around them. And the result of that is they surrendered their freedom to a king not of their liking. So this is how this applies to you and me. Be your own king, and you'll end up with a king not of your liking. Listen, be your own king, and you'll end up not liking yourself. In fact, that's why some of us, we just loathe ourselves. We dislike ourselves because we started pursuing a king of our own liking. We started making up our own truth. We started doing what was right in our own eyes, and it's led us to a place where we are in distress and we don't even like ourselves. See, that's kind of what just what happens so quickly to all of us if we're not careful. Because see, whenever we pursue the freedom to do what we want, when we want, with whom we want, and we don't live under the authority of our good heavenly king, we end up surrendering ourselves to an ungodly king, an idol. And we never see it coming until it's too late. But in the process of chasing freedom from one king, we lose our freedom to another king, one who is worse than the one we're trying to resist, our heavenly father. And what we realize too late is that we can't quit doing what we want when we do want to finally quit because we traded this good king for a bad king. We traded a, a kind king for a harsh king. Listen, you were created by a creator, which means you weren't created to be your own king. Your creator is your king. You were created to live and and be ruled by him and, and be led by him. But when you reject God as your rightful good king, you find yourself ruled by lesser or worse kings. We call them idols in our life. I mean, there is no such thing as total and complete autonomy as our world would try to tell us there is. We're all controlled and driven by something. So when you say no to creator king, you simply choose a different king. So you've traded a good king for a king of your own liking. And I'm telling you, if you'll be honest with yourself, that's what Joshua was saying to the nation of Israel. He said, you, you gotta be honest with yourself. It's hurting you. And not only it's hurting you, but it's hurting everyone around you. And it's gonna hurt everyone who comes along behind you. Your good king wants to lead you and let you experience his love. But if you've rejected him for a king that is a lesser king, an idol, something you idolize, then that's controlling you and it eventually will destroy you and what you value most. So these substitute kings, they tempt you to say on the front end, I won't. I won't be faithful. I won't stay committed. I won't be pure. I won't be honest. I won't live on a budget. I won't be told what to do because I can do what I want, when I want, with whomever I want. But what that substitute king, that idol never tells you is I won't eventually leads to I can't. I can't stop looking. I can't stop spending. I can't stop cheating. I can't stop lying. 
lying. I can't go back to when I had a clear conscience, when people would trust me and I had peace and joy and meaning and purpose in my life. I want to change, but I can't on my own because those other lesser kings of your own liking, man, they always lie to you. They overpromise and underdeliver. They're always promising you more. Everything that the world tries to lure you in with always overpromises and underdelivers. In fact, the world's philosophy that some of you are trying to declare as your own truth that allow you to do what is right in your own eye, it always lies to you and it overpromises and underdelivers. Those lies never have your best interest in heart. Those substitute kings, those idols that you choose over God, they are not merciful. They do not love you. They never want what is best for you. Their goal is to take your freedom. They don't care about you. They just want to control you. It's what Satan is. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But your heavenly father is good. He's merciful. He loves you so much that he gave his life for you. And so he is not going to force you to come back to him because he's not interested in controlling you like all these idols that we put in our life. I mean, he, if, he, if God wanted to control us because he's creator, he could control, but that's not his goal. God wants to love you, and he wants you to love him. So he lets you choose, just like Joshua told the nation of Israel. He said, choose you this day who you're going to serve. And he knows when you choose to live under his authority, that's when you find freedom. That's when you find purpose. That's when you find meaning. That's when you find fulfillment and peace in your life. So here's the good news for all of you, all of our churches today. If you have been allowing your life to be controlled by a substitute king, if you started idolizing something and now it's become an idol in your life and it is controlling you and is destroying you, if you've been chasing some other little kings that you thought would bring fulfillment and meaning and purpose in your life, you can come back to your good, loving king. He's not interested in paying you back. No, Christmas is the story of him showing that he wants to win you back through his love and his redeeming grace. See, his grace and his mercy is so much bigger than any of our rebellion. And I promise you, just like in the story of Luke chapter 15 of the prodigal son, it's that he will welcome you back with open arms. And that's what I want to invite all of you today to do who are chasing these other little kings in your life, trying to find fulfillment and meaning purpose in something and other than your relationship with Jesus Christ. So if you come back to your good king and stop trying to be your own king, I'm telling you, you will find the life that you've always desired to have. I'm telling you, there's nothing better than seeing come, someone come back home to their heavenly father. Because I also want to point this out as well, if you choose to chase little kings, you're wasting years. You're wasting years that you'll never get back. See, you can come back to God anytime. And sometimes I hear people say that. Well, yeah, I know I'm going to try this. I'm going to try this. And, and then I'll come back to God at some point. In time. Yeah, you come back to God anytime, but you can't get your teenage years back. You can't get your 20s back. You can't get your 30s back. You can't get your 40s back. You can't reparent your children. You can't redo your marriage. You can't undo what you did in college. I mean, when those seasons are gone, those seasons are gone. So don't waste your time serving these little kings, these little idols, these things that you idolize until they control you because they don't care about your future. The bottom line is 
when we set ourselves up to do what we want with whom we want, whenever we want, we lose our freedom. We don't gain freedom, we lose freedom. We're trading one king, our heavenly king, for a lesser king. And I promise you this, be your own king and you'll end up with a king not of your liking. You will find yourself in distress and you will quit liking yourself. So don't chase a little king. When you have this heavenly father, this king, this loving king, this merciful king who rose again to give you the freedom that you've always wanted all of your life. And that's why Christmas is such a season of hope. It's just a reminder of God's redeeming grace because Christmas is that central point in all of history where God demonstrated his love to you and me because Christmas is when God stepped from heaven to earth to show us what God is like and to show us how much God really loved us, not only by stepping to earth did he show us that, but then when he died on the cross to pay the penalty for all of our sin, he showed us his great love in his redeeming grace. So the good news of Christmas is, if you'll take a step toward Jesus as king and trust him, you'll discover a life of abundance that is so much different and so much better than what you ever imagined. I mean, after all, Jesus gave up his throne to serve and to die for his subjects, you and me. He's the only king that can love you more than you can love yourself. Jesus has been trustworthy in the past, and he's going to be trustworthy in the future because no other king would ever respond to your sin and my sin with redeeming grace. That's what Jesus did. No other love exists like the love of Jesus, our king. So today, our prayer for you is that you will reject and abandon all those other kings. And in this season, it's so easy to get drawn into that. Our world is trying to get us drawn into everything it can to lure us away from following Jesus. But I'm telling you, if you will reject and abandon all those other kings, you can receive the gift of redeeming grace. And once you receive God's redeeming grace, it will help you experience his love because you're no longer afraid of God and you don't feel like that God is angry at you and that God wants to punish you. No, God is not angry. Jesus took the wrath of God on himself for you on the cross and Jesus does, or God doesn't want to punish you. Jesus took your punishment for himself, on, or for yourself on himself on the cross. So if you will, all of our churches, will you bow your heads with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for this incredible opportunity to just pause and be reminded that no matter what level of sin or rebellion we've gone to in our lives, your grace is greater than all our sin. I thank you for the gift of redeeming grace, and Christmas is a reminder of that. God, I just pray right now that you'll help all of us to be honest with ourselves as Joshua challenged the nation of Israel, to be honest with ourselves, to choose or even admit who that we're serving. Our loving Heavenly Father, the King who loves us, died for us, rose again to prove that you have power over sin and death or some other lesser king 
that we've put in this place. Father, today we, we admit that lesser kings always lead to distress in our life. Idols always lead to disastrous outcomes collectively and individually. So we, we ask you to forgive us of chasing those things that we idolize to the point that they become idols in our life and we put them in place of you. And I just ask right now that your Holy Spirit will come and speak into each one of our hearts and help us see where that we have been chasing things that we idolize. And I just pray that you help every one of us to lean in to your redeeming grace. And if you're with us today at any of our churches and you've never asked Jesus Christ to be your personal Lord and Savior, you've never confessed your sin to him. You've never said, Jesus, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Will you just say that right now? Just say, Heavenly Father, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I come to you right now. I confess that I need you as my Savior, but I receive you also as my King. And today I choose to follow you with all of my life. I surrender everything to you, God. My life, my will, all of me to you. And today I choose the power of the Holy Spirit that will indwell me to serve you. And I thank you, God, that even when I don't get it right, your grace is there. And I thank you that Christmas is the reminder that you, you love me and you have grace for me every day. And I choose to live in that and I choose to follow you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, please let us know. Either you can do that through the app by scanning the QR code, let us know that you've taken a next step, or you can stop by the gallery on your way out and let us know that. We'd love to help you live in God's grace. Also, one other thing before you leave today, uh, don't forget our Christmas Eve service weekend, how the service is gonna fall out. Christmas Eve is on the 24th, which is a Saturday, so we're gonna be having our weekend services on the 24th at 9 or 10.30 or 1.30. We'll give you three different options, 9, 10.30, or 1.30. And make sure that you scan the QR code so you can get your ticket. The tickets are free. The reason we ask you to make sure we get tickets is we will make sure that we have seats at every service so everybody can be comfortable. Or you can stop by the gallery if you don't use digital, and we'll make sure and set aside some tickets for you as well. Hey, thanks so much for being with us today. Have a great day. We'll see you next week.